Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to want to be in Jonah chapter 3 and chapter 4 today. We're going to finish up the book today, which means we have a lot to do and a little bit of time to do it in. So we're going to jump right into it. As a, If you haven't been here the last uh, few weeks or haven't caught up online, um, here's, here's basically what's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks. Jonah was a prophet in Israel. God called him to go up to their arch enemies in the city of Nineveh, the, the, the uh, empire of Assyria, and to go and preach a gospel of grace to them that they could repent. Uh, and, and that judgment would not come upon them. And instead of following God and what God has called him to do, Jonah buys a ticket on a ship to go as far away as he possibly could in the known world to a place called Tarshish. On the way there, there's a storm that comes after some deliberation and conversation. The people throw Jonah over the side because they realize he's the one that's caused this. A a giant fish of some sort comes up and grabs Jonah. When, then Jonah comes to the point of repentance and belief himself, uh, and he prays. The fish ends up spitting him out onto the shore, and now we're in, Gen- in, in Jonah chapter 3. If any of that didn't make any sense, go back and listen online. I can't re-preach all those sermons today. Uh, we'd be here till dinner time. So, so Jonah chapter 3. Here's what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell to you. So the theme of this book, as we have said so many times in in recent weeks, and we will say even ad nauseum again today, is that this book is about grace and mercy. That's what it's about over and over again. It's about grace and mercy. After all that Jonah has done, after all that he has run away uh, from, after all that he has done uh, against what God has called him to, God has now restored him not only into relationship with him, but also into the work of ministry. He also says, I'm, I'm bringing you back, and don't forget, I've got some things for you to do as well. This is so important, friends, because what we see in the very first couple of lines here is that God does not hold grudges. When he forgives, he forgives. He doesn't go, all right, well, I forgive you, but don't do it again. Or he doesn't say, why don't you arise and go to Nineveh like you should have done the first time, Jonah, right? Like God is not speaking to him sarcastically and bitingly. God is not speaking to him with condescension. He is speaking to him with grace and saying, okay, we've learned some things together. Now, let's get back to what we were supposed to be about. Let's, let's move forward together, grace and mercy. And one of the wonderful things about this too, although the, the translation that we use here is the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version, it's a great translation. I do think they miss the nuance a little bit here though, because, uh, because the first call to Jonah back in chapter one was to go and preach against Nineveh. The wording is different here in chapter three. Even though, again, I think the ESV misses. If you're reading the NIV or or the ASV, you can see this differently in here. This time he says, arise and go to Nineveh and preach to it. Instead of against it, to it. What's the difference? Jonah has been in a place where he's experienced grace. 
And he's not just preaching against from a place of, God told me to come and tell you something, but rather from a place of, I've experienced this, friends, this mercy, this grace. Won't you come? Won't you come and enjoy this with me? You too can know this God that I know. There's a difference in Jonah because he's been through some stuff. Adversity has changed him. Suffering has changed him. And the reception of grace and the forgiveness of of his own sin and his own reception back into the presence of God has made him different. Here's what I would, I just want to encourage you. I love being around people who have been through stuff. There's just a, there's just a, a solidarity to them. There's, a, there's something that, that when, when I come and I'm worked up about something, right, that, that I'm upset about, they kind of look at me and go, it's going to be okay. Because they sort of give that half smile, right, where they go, this might not be as big as you think that it is. I've been through some other stuff. And I love those people. And if you're, if you're in your teenage years or you're in your 20s and, and there's really impressionable years, I really encourage you, find people who have been through stuff and spend time with them. Like, intentionally seek out those relationships and meet those people who have been through stuff to learn a different perspective on the world. There's a wisdom that comes through suffering, and Jonah has received it here as well. So look what happens in verse 2. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Yeah, right? Like, Jonah, he went. Last time, God called him and said, go. He ran. Now, this time, he went. You see, he actually did it. Like, he listened, and he went. He, we see so many people throughout the Scripture who endure suffering and who sin and who are restored and then are even better prepared to do the work of ministry, right? I mean, we can't even get into the sins of Abraham appropriately here um, this morning. Or what, what, about, what, about, uh, uh, what about someone like Peter, who's angry all the time, and yet... And, and then denies Jesus, and then yet is restored and sent into the work of mission. We see over and over again God restoring relationship and sending back out into the work of, hey, the grace you've received, how do you bring that to others? And that's what we're seeing here in Jonah as well. So, here's, so, so watch what happens. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So it takes three days to walk across it. And so basically what happens here is Jonah goes in about a day's worth. He starts preaching what God has told him to preach, and, and it works. Look what happens. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. This is, this is a great statement. Who did they believe? God. They didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. Jonah was the one who brought a message of grace, but they believed God. So when we are looking at how do we tell the people who we love about Jesus, the, ones, the people that we wish could know this grace and this mercy, to be able to share this with them, and we have our own doubts of our ability to be able to tell them about Jesus or answer their questions or what if they reject me or all of those questions that come when we start even thinking about sharing the message of Jesus with others, we need to come back here and say, it's not us that needs to convince. It's God who's a part of that work. They believed God. And we don't have time this morning to go into all of the things that the Assyrians did, but, but their repentance was profound. Okay, so just let me summarize a little bit. Like it goes all the way from the poorest person all the way up to the king of, of, of Assyria in the city of Nineveh. 
And so they, they start repenting. They turn from their violent ways, it says. And then, as an outward and visible sign of their inward and spiritual repentance, they, they start pouring ashes on their head, uh, which is an Old Testament sign of, of, of deep repentance and mourning. Right? And they, they start wearing clothes, which you'll read in your scripture probably says sackcloth, because that's the closest word that we have. Um, and so you think of like burlap or something. A, a hair shirt is actually a better phrase. And so it's woven out of goat hair or camel hair, itchy and scratchy. Like they're going, we repent. We want to we wanna experience difficulty and, and, uh, and a lack of, of pleasure in our life so that we know the depth of what, of what we have done. And then it goes so far as to say that they all fast. And not only they fast, but all of their livestock fast. Can you imagine how loud it would be if you don't feed your dogs and your cats and your chickens and your cows and everything that's around? Like they start mooing and barking. And, they, and so the whole place would have been, been noise and ashes and hair shirts. And I mean, like there, it would have been an impressive sight to see the depth of their their, uh, their repentance. And the sackcloth they wore and they put on their animals. They put on, they put on sackcloth on their cows. Like there's chickens with little vests on running around going like, I didn't even do anything. Well, I don't even know what is happening. I've got ashes on my head. I don't know. And so, so it would have just been everywhere. And then verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said what he would do to them, and he did not do it. And this word relented is not just, well, fine, I won't do it then. That, no. Like when we read the tone of this, this word relented has an aspect of inward sorrow. And so what it really means is it is he's taking their sin upon himself. To be able to say, I know you're hurt, I know, I know what you've done, but I'm, I'm going to bear that for you. Something that he would do even more significantly in the person of Jesus, where he takes all of our sins upon himself. And so he relents. So our story here, we're really looking at Jonah, right? Like our focus in this book is, so what's Jonah's response? And it's amazing, because Jonah celebrates profoundly this repentance. I mean, it's like this big, no, he doesn't. He throws a temper tantrum. All of chapter four is a temper tantrum. I mean like a full out two-year-old temper tantrum that he is about to throw. Like arms crossed, stomping foot, sneery face off into the, you just, you just watch. Like a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jared and Abby were here and their little, their little daughter, Thea, who's beautiful and cute and sweet all the time, except for once last week um, when she, she ran up here in the I don't even know what she was mad about, but she had a stuffed animal and she went, Ah! And she like she threw it on the ground like she was spiking a football, and she was going ah! Like she was, and she was like this. I mean, she's two. Nobody even taught her how to do that. And I went, "Hey, lady, I get it. Like I know, I feel that way sometimes too." And here's like keep that image in your mind here when we're reading chapter four because it says in verse one, this repentance thing, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. It's literally, he was angry with great anger. Right? Like, he, he, is, he, is, he is not pleased. And verse 2 says, and then he prayed to the Lord. Let's pause. This is really good news. Because Jonah is growing. 
Because if you remember in our first couple of weeks of studying Jonah, when all of the things that happened the first week, when he didn't go to Nineveh, when he got on the ship, when he, one of the things that we pointed out was that he didn't pray once during that whole time. In any of his decisions, in, in all of his anger against God and, and his people and everyone else, he didn't pray during any of that time. Even though he's a prophet of God, he, he didn't pray during any of that time. So now something has happened, though, and he's growing. He's in process. He's not where he needs to be. Like, he's not in a place where he can say, yeah, I got this all figured out. I'm holy and righteous and pure. No, he is struggling. But at least he's coming to God with those struggles now. At least he's praying. At least he's at the place where, God, I need, I need you to work this out with me, but right now I'm actually angry with you and I don't want you to speak with me, but I need you to speak to me. But Watch what he says. He praised the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This, this, you see, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What Jonah has just revealed something very honest. I don't know if he realized this himself before now or if he spit it out and went, oh, yeah, I did just say that. Why did he run? He didn't run just because, well, maybe he was afraid the Assyrians were going to torture him in very hideous ways that we talked about in chapter 1, and they were known for that. He wasn't just afraid of the trip. He, was, he knows the truth of God, but was wrestling with how God's grace impacts those people whom he's angry with. Did you hear that? He know, he'll, oh, he'll say the gospel multiple times in here. I knew, I know that you are a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I know you are these things. And that's the problem because those people don't deserve this. But here's the truth for us, friends. We should draw direct parallels with Jonah if we're honest because we want mercy and grace for us and justice for everyone else. Here's Jonah. He's struggling. He's like, I don't even know if you're, I don't know if you're good. You are, no, no, you are good. But, but they don't need that. Now, of course, we have the benefit of reading the last couple of weeks of Jonah and realizing that maybe we need to look back and go, Jonah, do you deserve that? But he doesn't want to think about that right now. That's not, that is, we're not talking about me. We're talking about you, right? But isn't that the point of all of this is that honestly, if grace was given on the base of merit, Jonah shouldn't have received it either. He should have been eaten by that fish or just sunk down to the bottom and died on the bottom of the ocean. But God has given him deep grace, and he's saying, show others what I've shown to you. But he's struggling. And then look, it's okay to be in process. You're going to see over the course of this chapter, it's okay to be in process, to not be sure where you are on these things, but you're going to see God not let Jonah sit in that anger and tension either. He's moving him along gracefully. Watch. So here's Jonah's response. Because of all this grace and all this forgiveness and things, verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Right? <laughs> like, just kill me. How about that? Let's just do that. Jonah defaults to this all the time. Uh, we've got to teach him some middle ground between happiness and joy and kill me. Um, he's having a hard time finding a middle place in, in, in here. This is all bad, so just take my life from me. Well, like, 
just a couple of days ago, you were in a fish where that could have happened and you prayed, oh no, don't let me die, let me out. It's like I have cats and they stand at the door and they go, let me out, let me out. And then if you open the door, they stand outside and go, let me in, let me in. Like, and you're going to just decide where you're going to be. This is Jonah. Let me out, let me in. I don't want to be out, I'm in. And I hope, friends, that you start to go, I've been there. Maybe you are there. So let's watch how God deals with Jonah. Jonah comes to him with this struggle with his grace. And and honestly, Jonah is presuming to know better than God, right? Isn't he? Like he's saying, there's a clear cut way this needs to work, God. Don't you see what the Assyrians have done? And, and so there's, there's my way of doing this. This is how this should work out. There's, there's certain things that just, I, like, I'm going to do a better job of being God than you are if this is how this is going to work out. Like, there, there should be justice. And so if you're, not, if you're not full of justice, then I shouldn't even be alive. You, you see this tension of struggling with the grace of God throughout the scripture. David David would write psalms about how, how God is near to all those who believe and who call to him. And then he writes another psalm that says, why are you so far away from the words of my groaning? Why have you forsaken me? You see this all of the time in the scripture. One of my favorite passages of scripture that I think if I had to have a life verse, which I don't really think you need to have one of those, uh, just have the whole Bible. But, um, but and so if I had to have one, this would be one of them. It's in Mark chapter nine, where there's this father who's deeply concerned for his son who is suffering and he needs his son to, to, to be healed. And he comes to Jesus and he talks to Jesus about it. And Jesus talks to him about faith. And the father desperately calls out and he says, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. I love this line because it's so honest. No, no, really, honestly, I can say I do, but I also don't always act like I do. And I don't, but then I don't know if I do. But then, I, no, no, I really do. And this struggle of intellect and faith and hope and despair is a place where we are so often. You can feel it here in, in Jonah in his temper tantrum. I, I urge you when you suffer, and when I, as I urge you, I urge me. When we suffer, don't take the easy way out and blame God and walk away. But press into his goodness. Search for it. He is the source of your hope, not your destruction. Press into him. Wrestle. And don't fold your arms and huff like Jonah did. But let's see how God meets him. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Look, God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And so when God asks a question in the scripture, it's for our benefit. Things like Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against him, and then they're hiding in their shame in the bushes, and God comes into the garden and he goes, where are you? It's not that he couldn't find them, right? God was like, I misplaced my people. I only had two. Um, where do you, like, where? Where are they? He knows where they are, but he's asking a much deeper question because Adam and Eve have just run from him in ways like Jonah did as well. And he's asking them a heart question. Where are you now that you've sinned, now that our relationship is broken? Where are you? And here he's coming in very wisely and patiently with it as a merciful father does when their child is having a temper tantrum. Should we be angry right now? Should we? I mean, should we be angry? So 
You'd think, after the whole fish experience and then the astounding repentance of Nineveh, uh, that, that because of Jonah's preaching, you'd think that he'd be pretty solid at this point of going, like, I've just seen all these amazing things. Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. But no, he's, he's not at that place. He still needs grace. And so here's Jonah's response when the Lord asked him this first question, do you do well to be angry? He doesn't answer him at first. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. Like, pitched a tent, basically. And he, and he sat himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. So here he is. He doesn't answer God. He walks out of the city and he sits on a hill by himself, bitter to let his own bitterness stew. That, and I'm just going to watch and I'm going to see what happens. Maybe they're just going to die anyway. If we ever feel far away from God, retreating by ourselves to sit in a place of bitterness doesn't help. And yet we ought do it so often. When we're angry, what, what he should have done, what we should have done is to go into the people where they're, where they're the sackcloth and ashes and they're going, yes, I've received grace and you're repenting and receiving grace as well. And here I am, the prophet of God in your midst to be able to encourage you in this and to step into it and to bring you the word of God. And yes, let's work through this. Let's rebuild the society. Let's, let's, let's make this a lasting change as well. That's the call of the church to enter into the world in that way. That was the call of Jonah. And instead, he just looked around bitter saying, these people shouldn't get the kind of grace that I know that I deserve. And he walked out of the city and sat down in a huff. Now, friends, this doesn't work in any argument. It's just good marital advice too. This isn't the way to handle things in your marriage. If you get mad and then you go, run out the door or go sit by yourself and just stew about it. And you might just have space to breathe. That's okay. Um, but not to sit in your bitterness. Where, who have you been hurt by that you're not willing to extend grace to? What, is it, what anger towards whom are you not receiving grace in your own life from God for and the healing he wants to offer? Let me go so far as to say, friends, if you're at this place where you're saying, I've been hurt by the church and I'm angry by the church, friends, there isn't a faceless church that has hurt you. There are people, people have hurt you. And I'm not downplaying that in any way. But if you are mad at the church, the church can't respond. But people in the church can respond. And if you're angry, generally angry, and then you go off to the hill, separate yourself from the people of God, go sit on the hill, and then wonder why you're still angry, and you're saying, yep, like God, God is not giving me any peace here, right? Because you've removed yourself from the place where grace can happen. You've got to get in there and do that hard work of finding that healing, of finding that hope, of forgiving those who you need to forgive, and even if they don't deserve it because of the grace that you've received as well, and to work through that. And that's no easy task. I'm not treating this flippantly in any way. It is a deeply difficult task. And that's why you're called to do it with other people who love you and want to walk alongside of you so that that root of bitterness doesn't stir up in your heart and keep you chained to a hill outside of the people of God. Grace, mercy. Do you do well to be angry? It's a question we need to ask ourselves a lot. I'm angry. 
should I be? Maybe it's a question our entire culture right now needs to ask itself. Everybody's just angry all the time about everybody, about everything. And instead, can we just sit and we go, where should we have grace and be able to let go of this anger? There are things that we should be angry about. There are things that make God angry as well, right? There, there's a righteous anger. But right now, our culture is in a place of fear and isolation, and our response is not to press in and work with grace and mercy, but to be angry and cynical and suspicious of everyone all the time. Do we do well to be angry? our world healthy? We got plenty of anger. What we need is the grace that is given to us to be able to extend it to others. So this is what God wants to teach Jonah. So in verse six, he says this, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. So a big bush, like a big, big, big leaves, broad leaves, shading it to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So he, here's the powerful thing here, right? That, that God gives him this plant. And so Jonah went from exceedingly anger with great, angry with great anger to rejoicing with great joy. I mean, his needle is all over the place, right? But here's the point that God is trying to, to, uh, to point out to Jonah. An entire city of what God is about to number being over 100,000 people, an entire city, perhaps an entire empire has begun to repent. And that doesn't bring Jonah joy, but a patio umbrella. Now that makes him happy. Like it seems silly, right? But that's exactly the silliness that God is trying to point out to him of going, what? It's, it's your happiness, your fleeting happiness that can come with whether the sun is too hot or not, or whether you have eaten too much or too little and your blood sugar's in the wrong place. Like this is how we're going to determine whether God is good or not. What about his deep grace? What about his deep mercy? That we can't depend on our own happiness and our own fleeting happiness when Jonah's clearly God has motivations in the wrong place and his happiness is based on the wrong things. And God is saying, there's so much more, Jonah. Jonah, there's so much more. Don't stay here. Don't, don't stay in this superficial place. Don't stay angry. Don't stay isolated. Jonah, come back. And so he gives him this plant, but God is still teaching him. All right, there's grace that's covered him, but God doesn't want him to sit in the shade in his bitterness. He still wants to root out that bitterness. Verse seven, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked, what do you think Jonah asked? That he might die. <laughs> now here he is back again. And Jonah said to him, it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, like, I mean, he is... He is all over the place in his unsteadiness here. And God asks him a second question. But God said to Jonah, verse 9, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And here's Jonah's response. I love it. I love Jonah because he's so honest. Here's his response. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. <laughs> like, like this, he is, he's back in his tantrum again. He had a little nap, didn't help. 
right? And so he's, he's angry enough to die because of this plant. And so here, God lowers the boom of going, Jonah, here's what I want you to see. Well, look what he says in verse 10. The Lord said, you pity the plant. When a pity means to have compassion for or think that it should be spared, okay? So you think the plant should have been spared for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. There was no merit of your own, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You have compassion and pity for this plant. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from the left? He's trying to say, Jonah, can't you see? Like, you're so wrapped up, you're suffering, but a lot of the suffering is your own cause because it's your own bitterness and your own anger. The real worm here is not the one that ate the plant. It's the bitterness in your heart. And we gotta root that out. Don't you see, can you not rejoice in the grace that is being extended to you and to the people of Nineveh? And I love this. God is so detailed in his thinking because they're up on the hill and maybe the wind is blowing and carrying the sound of the cows and the chickens who still haven't eaten yet either, right? And so at the end, God says, there's more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Like, don't forget about the cows. The chickens are like, thank you, thank you. I still have my vest on. I'm still suffering here. Thank you, God, for remembering me as well. In the midst of all of this, well, here's what I want you to see, friends. God is spending a lot of time with Jonah. He could have let him go a long time ago. He could have simply said when Jonah first ran away and didn't go to Nineveh and went off towards Tarshish, he could have just let him sink. He could have just gone, pfft. But instead, he pursued him, and he loved him, and he's bringing him back. And Jonah has doubted his grace and his sovereignty over and over and over and over again, even when it's worked in front of him. And God's like, see, ta-da, like it worked in the city. And Jonah went, no, I'm still angry. And God is trying to show him, don't you see I've extended you grace, and you need to extend grace to others. Be healed from this anger. And the book ends. That's it. That's all we've got. What happens? What happens to Jonah? Does he come around? What happens to the city of Nineveh? I think that this book is left open-ended for a few different reasons. One, because I think this question is left to us. How will you respond? The grace of God is being offered to you. And you didn't toil for it and you didn't work for it. It's being offered to you. And just as God said to Jonah, hey, you think, you think that you have sinned so much and that you, have, that, you have, uh, that you have run so much that I can't use you anymore, but instead I'm gonna save you and bring you back and put you to good purpose as well. How will you respond to that same message to you? God can use you. God wants you to know grace deeply for his glory, for your health, and so that you can extend that grace to other people as well. That you can tell the gospel of Jesus to others, that you can simply be nice to people in the grocery store. How will you respond? But there's another very significant reason why this book is open-ended. Because Jesus tells us what this book is really about in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, a bunch of people start to gather around Jesus and they just want him to do a sign. They're like, just heal somebody or something. Like, I just want to see the magic tricks that you do and then, and then I'll believe. If, I can, if you can just like do cool things, right? Um, that guy can't walk, heal him. Right? And so Jesus looks at them and he's frustrated and he says, this is a wicked generation. And you ask for a sign 
He said, but in Luke eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Because if Jonah came to a city and the people had heard that he'd been in the belly of a fish for three days and comes out and preaches a gospel of grace and they're like, we need to listen to this guy who came out of a fish. Jesus is saying, what about when I go into the grave for three days and I come out? And I preach to you a gospel of grace, a gospel that is even greater, greater than Jonah's, in which I will carry your sin upon my own shoulder, will bear your own shame, will rip it out from your heart and put it into mine so that I'll carry it and pay the price for it. If an empty fish belly was a sign for Nineveh, an empty tomb is a sign for you. And so what will you do? This is the trump card that's laid upon every time that we feel like that we have doubt or bitterness against God. And he said, but don't you see the trump card in that is that however, whatever you think about your patio umbrella, whatever you think about the sunburn that you currently have, and some of those patio umbrellas and sunburns are really deep things that hurt really bad, and it makes us wonder, is God even here? But the trump card is the resurrection. The empty tomb. The tomb is still empty. If the tomb is empty, then all hope remains. And all of our suffering has meaning as we come to know the heart of God and we are able then to even better serve others. There's meaning for our suffering. There's meaning for our pain. And there's hope for healing because Jesus went in the tomb for three days and came out victorious. It's the sign of Jonah is the sign of Jesus. So friends, in light of this, how will you respond? Will you receive grace? Will you extend grace? Will you trust God's goodness even in the midst of our own confusion or our own pain? And listen, I know there are many in this room who are struggling right now. There are many who doubt. God and I had a good conversation the other day about how he was not doing things the way that I expected and wanted him to do them. And, and he asked me, why don't you go prepare a sermon on Jonah? Do you do well to be angry? Like, Stop it, right? Like, <laughs> that's, that was my response too. And I know we're in that place oftentimes. But friends, Jonah wasn't meant to leave that city and leave those people in their repentance and their struggle. He was meant to be in it with them. And I pledge to you, friends, that your church, Redeemer, will not leave you in that place. That we are people, people who repent together, who learn together, who struggle together, who fail together, who heal together. A place where you can bring your anger. And look, God was never phased by Jonah's anger. Never once did he go, hey, don't talk to me like that. He went, let me have mercy and grace. This is a place of mercy and grace a place for you to work out the same kind of things that Jonah is working out and that you can hear and know the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. So come down from your hill. There's grace. There's hope. There's mercy. There's a people to receive you. And there's an empty fish in an empty tomb to prove the goodness of God. And he even has mercy on your cows. Pray with me. Glorious Father, we, your mercy extends more deeply than we could ever know, far greater than we could ever grasp. Lord, we're, 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 we're anger, bitterness has its grip on us. 
Help peel those fingers off. Where hurt for legitimate reasons has been left to fester and to become infected. Lord, help us find relief. Help us know who to forgive and how to forgive. Help us find friends and guides who will lead us on that journey. We thank you, Lord, that you are not only the God of grace, but even as we are struggling with your own grace for us and having grace with others, that you are the God who has grace in the process and wants us not to stay where we are, but to know the deeper and greater love, that steadfast love that you have for us and for the world. Lord, Move miraculously. Break down strongholds in our hearts and our lives. Shatter hard hearts to know your goodness. And restore unto us the joy of your salvation, that we may extend that joy and that grace to others as well in your name. Amen.